The Incomparable. Number 167. November 2013. Welcome back to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this is our second edition of our old movie club where we travel back in time and watch watch movies that uh, are very old, in this case, 61 years old, and that uh, we may or may not have seen before. I had seen none of these movies before. Uh, They're all from 1952. They were selected by our old movie sommelier, Philip Michaels, who is here with me now. Hi, Phil. Hello. Um, let me introduce our panel before we get to these three movies. Yes, it's an ep- it's an epic cast, almost like a Cecil B. DeMille film. <laughs> it's practically a <laughs> Cecil B. DeMille production. Uh, I can't wait to see who the killer clown is. It's probably Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. <laughs> dignity, Jason. Always dignity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you heard the laughter of Lisa Schmeiser there. Hi, Lisa. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you here. David Lohr is also here. Hi, David. Hi. This is like a clown car. You just panelists keep coming out. This is great. (laughs) Monty Ashley also joins us. Hi, Monty. Draw, partner. (laughs) (laughs) There's another movie. There's another movie. Good reference. (laughs) And Erica Ensign is back on the podcast. Hi, Erica. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. So, okay, Phil, tell me your... You're, 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 you suggested this premise. It's all yeah. based on the Academy Awards of 1952. Can you explain a little bit about what we did? I want to take you back in time, Jason. Not, not all the way back to 1952. No, let's, let's just go back to the 1980s when I was a little kid. Well, medium-sized kid. All right. And getting into movies and thinking, oh, I'm going to learn all that I can about movies and I'm going to do it by watching the very best movies I can. Obviously, the very best movies are the ones that win the Best Picture Oscar. Of course. And um, uh, one Sunday afternoon, I think Channel 2 up in the Bay Area was showing The Greatest Show on Earth. And so I decided to sit down and 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 watch um, this epic sprawling Cecil B. DeMille story of loves and life's lost on the circus. Five hours later with commercials. Five hours <laughs> later. With, in fact, I believe they actually broke it up into two consecutive weekends is oh how long God. it aired on commercial TV. And I gutted it through and I um, – that was when sort of the scales fall off the eyes and you realize, you know, maybe films, that maybe the best picture doesn't always win the best picture award. And uh, over the years, I've, I've seen other movies that, that came out that year. And, you know, you get your years like Crash winning the, the best picture. That's often cited as the most uh, recent example. And who, who knows if the movies that, that came out that year will stand the test of time like a Brokeback Mountain or uh, or uh, Capote, I think, was nominated that year. But we, we do have a pretty good track record of 1952 uh, where, where the movies sort of fit in the pantheon there. And other movies that came out that year included two that, were watch- that we watched as part of this exercise, Singing in the Rain, Quite possibly the the greatest musical ever made, I would argue. And High Noon, which is certainly one of the um, iconic westerns and actually a movie with something to say about the human condition. And um, the Academy uh, looked at both those movies, didn't even nominate Singing in the Rain, and said, hey, let's give it to the circus movie. And so, so here we are now having this discussion in 2013. All right. So we watched Singing in the Rain, High Noon. Mm-hmm. 
and the greatest show on earth. Some of us yep. watch it. I've made that sort of optional because I didn't want to be. I don't want people to hate me. Basically, you're not cruel. <laughs> yeah, you brought it on yourself. You need to block out a good chunk of your your evening to watch the greatest show on earth because it is it it feels like it's a thousand years long. It's only eight hundred, I believe. I had to break it up over two nights. Yeah, I couldn't hack it. Yeah, I got to the first musical number and I said, "That's enough for now." It took me three days to get through it. I gotta say, but we got. Remember, through it. the greatest show on earth is just is just a title, not a description. <laughs> no, <laughs> which they were thinking. on Earth. Yeah, they were on Earth. <laughs> there Maybe. was a show, and there was sort. a show. Mm-hmm. It was not great. So great can mean large. That's yeah. what mm-hmm. can mean a few things, I guess. Yes, exactly. Let's just look at great as meaning large in this sense. The largest show on Earth. <laughs> it was the longest of the three films that we watched. It, that it was. That it <laughs> Greatest was. in links, for sure. By far. <laughs> you could fit like three high noons into that That's film. Right. It's more a description <laughs> of volume than of quality. High 2 p.m., high 4.30. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would that, yeah exactly right. It would have been, been a high three 325. Um, Eventually, it'd be a low 620. High 4.20. <laughs> Um, all right, we should start with, uh, we're going to start with the, uh, from the outside going in for the Oscars, which means we're going to start with Singing in the Rain, which uh, is generally regarded, I think, as a, a, a movie classic, and it was not even nominated for Best Picture. This is um, a film actually directed by Gene Kelly and- Co-directed. Yes. Co-directed, yeah. And Stanley Donan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, starring, of course, Gene Kelly, uh, a musical, comedy, Hollywood-oriented, uh, lots of songs, lots of dancing. It's set, it's set in the 1920s, uh, just as the movies are going from the silent film era to the talkies. Uh, it's 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 a, a big, vibrant, let's put on a show type picture. The origin story um, of Singing in the Rain is, I believe, the studio bought a whole catalog of songs. And and basically said, let's make let let's tie together a movie based on these based on these songs, which have really nothing to do with each other. Well, but they had works. they had a guy named Freed or something, right? Who Arthur who, Arthur Freed was Arthur in charge Freed, of the, yeah. the musical. And there was a whole unit. division of that. Those of, are all his songs. Yeah, he wrote right. those. And I think most of the most of the songs in this film had been used several times already before this film ever came out. So it's like a jukebox standards. musical, in, in a, a way. way. Yeah. Be, especially, mm-hmm. so. I, not to get ahead of ourselves, but especially toward the end where there's that moment of like, oh, and then we'll do a scene that's set in the present day, and it'll be like this, and then there's a random musical number. That, <laughs> that just is interminable. Is really, <laughs> yes. Oh. That, that is the obligatory, in every Gene Kelly movie, there's, there's a scene where he just goes, I'm going to dance now. Yeah, salute to Broadway. <laughs> yeah. The good news is you can get up and go get a snack or go to the bathroom or clean something, and you can come back, and you've just got the end of it. You feel super productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, think, I think, is that the one where, where it ends with the, uh, they cut back to the producer, and he's like, well, I can't picture it. I can't quite yeah. visualize yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was good. That was a, that was a good joke. Um, I, I was um, so I'm not a big I'm not a big dance aficionado. I'm just going to admit that, and I know that that, that um, there are some people on this podcast. I know Erica enjoys uh, dance stuff, and I it, it like I feel like dance illiterate. It's just I don't get it. It's not that I hate it. I just don't <laughs> understand it. Um, I I didn't I did notice because um, my wife likes musicals and and dance stuff, and she she was pointing out how hard it was because they had to do all the like foley of the tap dancing. Mm-hmm. And um and and I 
totally broke the spell by saying, well, you know, you can tell because there's this most famous dance scene maybe in film history where he's out in the rain. And and I'm I am totally taken out of it by the fact that the the, the tap sounds don't match where his feet are, which means I'm a horrible <laughs> human being. And I'd like to apologize to Gene Kelly's wow. right now. That is correct. Wow. Well, also, the tapping also you're off the podcast, perfect, which I understand it doesn't if you're actually trying to tap dance in giant puddles like he was. Ah, oh, yes. see, there you go. Now. So so there, there I've said I've had my say. So, Jason, what does it feel like to have no soul? Yeah. And what do you put where your soul used to be? <laughs> do you store comic books there? I enjoy. I, I I actually really I enjoyed this movie um, because although, like I said, I'm sort of um, dance illiterate. Um, I, I thought it was funny and light. I love the idea that that we're um, it's people processing the the transition to the talkies, and of course, you get um, was it Lena Lamont. Who, yes. Who is the, the great gl- the great Jean oh, Hagen? Oh, she's fantastic. Glamorous, glamorous star of, of the screen until you, she opens her mouth and you discover that. <laughs> What's she- the big idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, really funny. Um, so I, I even although I have no soul and cannot appreciate the sheer joy of Gene Kelly's dancing, I actually, I, I really, um, I, I was, enter- I was very entertained by this movie, and and I thought that there were lots of funny. Funny bits, and you know, you look at movie that's sixty-one years old, and you don't expect it to have a. I mean, there were, the fact that there was a Hollywood satire aspect to this. It was, you know, a little more modern than I would. I was going to give it credit for. I guess I would say. One of the things that I I I I've, I kind of pick up on over the years, and maybe I'm I'm seeing things that aren't there. There's a real. Um, you can kind of spot the influence this film might have had on someone like the Coen Brothers. Because there are just these shots of these kind of grotesque background people that that pop up, like at the the movie premiere and the uh, uh, the, the party at the producer's house, and it, where where people just pop onto the screen for kind of comic effect, and it feels like early Cone Brothers in that way. There's there's use of a lot of uh, uh, zoom shots, and 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 I I, I kind of wonder how much influence that had on them early on. Maybe none whatsoever. But uh, it's something that I've always kind of uh, appreciated about Singing in the Rain. Yeah, I had never seen this before either. And in fact, I had never actually seen a Gene Kelly film before. They're not all like this. No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. In, fact, in fact, I thought that uh, I thought Fred Astaire was in this originally before I turned it on. No. Oh, my, no, Fred Astaire's your nightmare demon dancer guy. Yeah. Yeah. Fred Astaire. I've never really caught into Fred Astaire movies, but I, I enjoy watching Gene Kelly. He features in my nightmares pretty prominently. Whereas I'm the opposite. See, the thing is, is Fred Astaire is so disturbingly boneless that it's all it's it's supernatural and not in a not in a good way. It's kind of in a, oh, someone killed a dancer and buried him in the pet cemetery. Now he's come back kind of way. <laughs> it's like Slender Man, the musical in a oh, way. Oh, this is Exciting. People who like dancing disagree about dancers. This is very exciting <laughs> yes, to me. Very much so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fight. Fight it out. Dance it out. Fred Astaire is a much more artistic dancer, whereas Gene Kelly is a very physical dancer. Well, that's yeah. the thing right. that I, I was impressed with is he's just so studly. Yeah. <laughs> he's very staccato and precise, whereas yeah. uh, Fred Astaire is more fluid. And I, I prefer sort of the more fluid kind of a dancer. I, I like... It looks more relaxed, whereas Gene Kelly looks like he's working for it. And he's, well, he's excellent. It. And it's fine. I think a West Side Story style rumple's about to break out here. <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that. This movie made me want to go back in time to take the branch where I become a dancer, actually. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed with the, the dancing and the... Um, Donald O'Connor is magnificent oh, as well. Oh, yeah. He walks fantastic. away with this movie, in my opinion. I, in fact, his facial expressions are enough to sell me on the movie. He's, he's utterly fantastic. 
But yeah, Gene Kelly kind of blew me away. I was surprised. Donald O'Connor's dance for Make Him Laugh is amazing because he puts so much energy to it and it's practically all in one shot. And then you go on the internet and find out he was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. (laughs) And had to be hospitalized after that. Didn't he have to do it twice because the camera had a malfunction? Mm Mm-hmm. And so he Probably. basically had to, yeah, he had yeah. to produce that. He had to perform that whole punishing sequence twice and make it look like it was nothing. And uh, I like the the blithe, witty element that he brings to the film. It's a smart film, and um, there's a lot of wit and back and forth to it. But I I think that uh, O'Connor nicely undercuts the treacle that develops between uh, Gene Kelly and Deborah Re- Deborah Reynolds' characters. Deborah oh, Reynolds. Yeah. Deborah, yeah. Very formal. <laughs> Show some I respect. Haven't been proper, I haven't been properly introduced no, yet. No, you haven't. No. <laughs> Princess Leia's mom. I had no idea that Debbie Reynolds was ever so cute. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh she's oh, just yeah. a button in this movie. Whatever. She never stopped being cute. What are you talking about? She's the Jennifer Aniston of the 1950s in like, several different ways. <laughs> Although she really. has absolutely no chemistry with Gene Kelly whatsoever. Not no. at all. They did not get along, apparently, yeah. on the set. Uh, Gene, Gene Kelly was a difficult person to work with and for, by all accounts. Yeah. No, you don't say. Yeah. I understand he made fun of her lack of dancing skill. Yeah. Everybody in this movie was miserable the whole time, but you can't tell at all from the movie. Everybody's smiling and cheerful and <laughs> dancing their little hearts out. Yeah. It's called acting. It's, the smiles are almost too big, though. Maybe almost too much. It's, it's a little <laughs> like, like, yes, I'm happy because I have to be. I think that comes through a little bit. I think it's the yeah. hyper-reality of the whole, because the fashions are so vivid, the dialogue is so stylized, the colors are so saturated. I think the whole point of the movie was a little bit of hyper-reality, where because you're dealing with something as filled with hyperbola as the entertainment industry, you have an aesthetic that matches the outsized sense of reality and the slight untethering from from the aesthetic that we, we have in everyday life. And, and I think that's why it holds up uh, as opposed to other musicals. Yes, uh, jumping back to the dancing for a second, Jason, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that you know that I like dancing because I, I believe I mentioned that when we were talking about The Matrix a yes, few weeks indeed. ago. And one of the the reason I was talking about it then is because I was saying that I'm not a huge fan of action sequences, but I like dance sequences. And then somebody went on to point out that action sequences that don't have any, that aren't furthering the plot are, are the ones that are the most boring. And I actually feel that way about dance sequences. If there's, if there's, <laughs> If it's just dancing for the sake of dancing, I get bored. And there's a lot of that in this movie, which is why it's <laughs> it's not my favorite musical. How dare you? What is your favorite musical? <laughs> oh, dance fight. More dance fighting, yes. <laughs> I think probably my favorite would be Top Hat. I think I think that's more be- more because I like the plot of Top Hat. It's paper mm-hmm. thin, but it's Such as adorable. It is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We're getting into musical snobbery now. Wow. <laughs> All these people are going, wrong. I come here for comics and sci-fi. I don't understand what's happening. No, I don't know what's going on. I blame Phil Is this, this the part where the stormtroopers begin dancing? Because I'm really confused. I would watch that movie. <laughs> I quite like Singing in the Rain. I just, it, I don't love it. I have a weird ambivalence to it because there are bits and pieces of it that I just adore. And then there are the parts where I do, like, like you said, Lisa, I want to get up and go clean the house instead. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Luke. Come join me. We will rule the universe together. But first, we dance. <laughs> that, was, that was the Flash Gordon from 1980. What I like about Singing in the Rain the most is that it's actually about one of my favorite eras in movie history, which is right after they started having sound. They knew they had to have musicals, but they didn't have any idea what movie musicals should be like. Yeah. So, you, so you had like the Broadway melody movies, which are just Zigfried Follies and what? Yeah, have it's you. just a mm-hmm. cavalcade of people's terrible vaudeville acts. 
Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. suddenly had Busby Berkeley making uh, like a footlight parade with James Cagney, mm-hmm. which just allegedly it's about somebody who puts on stage shows that go in front of movie screens while they're changing the movie over. But then when they start, all of a sudden it takes up like three football fields and there's waterfalls and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is wet and on fire and spangling and... <laughs> Well, it's when the the opening of uh, Temple of Doom, where they do Anything Goes in Mandarin. And and that's a real, really nice tribute to that kind of thing where you have this really simple stage show in a club that all of a sudden the camera zooms in and you've you've got, you know, all these fields worth of space where they have all the fabric that they're flying around. And that, I mean, that's my favorite part of Temple of Doom. You've blown Lisa's mind. I don't remember this. (laughs) Way to uh, bring it back to a movie I've seen, David. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, I'm here for you. I don't, rem- I don't remember this. I, I now have to go watch Indiana Jones. The <laughs> just you just have to watch the first 15 minutes. Yeah, yes. once Dan Aykroyd shows up, you can it's just over. click yeah. it off. Yeah, you're done. Wait, you're Dan done. Aykroyd was in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen this since it was in the theater. Ooh, wow. It, so, it clearly made an indelible impression upon it you. It was Mother's yeah. Day, and I remember my mother being very, very angry that that was the film that her heartless family went to go see. It that starts with a musical number. Yeah. And quickly descends into eating monkey brains, much yeah. like many of Fred Astaire's greatest works. Well, Are you saying it's good until Short Round shows up? Oh, no, no, no. It's 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 great until they land in India. That's when it falls apart, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you're including the rubber raft flying through the air. No, no. When they jump out of the plane, that's yeah. Dead. They jump out of the plane. Really, you're right. I don't know if it's worth me catching up on the Indiana Jones. Just watch the first fifteen minutes making, of the Temple of Doom, Lisa. Case. So, is, I, is like, like singing I like in the, the rain, Temple of Doom was also not nominated for an Oscar in 1952. <laughs> They're very similar. <laughs> Way to tie it together. So let's talk about this real fast. The the whole Oscar element here. All right. Yeah. What what is the? Because uh, I frankly don't give two craps about Oscar most of the time, mm-hmm. unless we're doing a podcast. What is the record for musicals as far as being nominated or or winning Best Picture? They they do pretty well. In fact, yeah. the year before Singing in the Rain, a Gene Kelly musical, An American in Paris, won Best Picture. Really. Yep. Oh, did that win Best Picture? Good Lord, Oscar, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I, that's pretty much the theme for I, this. Well, so it could very well have just been Kelly won last year, so let's skip over him this year. And uh, Chicago won recently? Ch- Chicago won recently musicals. in the 1960s. You would think the 1960s would be this wild experimental time for, for mm-hmm. movies, but Oliver and Hello, Dolly, I think— uh, uh, might yeah. have won. Well, they they talk about how my fair lady. Well, they talk about how Hello Dolly got a list of claim, and it was showing how out of touch the Academy was with the forces that were overtaking filmmaking. Right. Yeah. Hello Dolly and Barbara Streisand are pretty much used as your uh, ha ha. The Academy doesn't get it. And and so. at the time, you know, American in Paris was seen as this you know really great Gene Kelly film, and it had the huge ballet sequence. And then he comes back with this spoof of Hollywood. Eh. It was it was seen as a very lightweight film in 1952. Yeah. Well, it That's, is. It, and it is, yeah. <laughs> it's a confection. But there's nothing wrong with that because it's really well made. Yeah. It's a really nice confection. It's like yeah. this yeah. movie we have over here about circuses. Yeah. Oh, God, no, that's not a confection. That is that is like yeah. that's like a TGI Friday's like cookie skillet Sunday with five scoops. And... It's like having a whole wedding cake jammed down your gullet. Oh god. <laughs> with a toilet plunger. I saw Sid Charisse in the uh in the credits and I was like, oh well, I wonder what part she'll play. And the answer is uh dropped Dancer. into dance scene. Tall woman. <laughs> She's the legs. I enjoyed the um I, I believe I turned to Lauren and said, I'm sure that's exactly how the Hollywood story meetings go. When they're like, 
Uh, let's let's add a plot. Here it is. We'll call it the Dancing Cavalier. It's like in in like two minutes they come up with this whole asinine uh, modification for this mm-hmm. uh, this silent film to turn it into a into a talkie. I've got a two DVD set of like a hundred musicals, some of which are only forty minutes long. That's that like a that's pretty much certainly yeah. how they made those movies. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's like the old Patton Oswalt routine about uh, butterscotch. About how he's brought in to do uh, script doctoring work on animated movies, and they put a lot of terrible jokes in the background to to mask the fact that nothing interesting is happening on the screen. And that's that's kind of your your nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties musical planning in a nutshell. So, in the famous singing in the rain scene, um, one of the things that I liked about it is at the end. I love. I actually love that he's dipping his feet in the wa- in the deep water by the mm-hmm. by the gutter. I think that's pretty cool. And I love that it ends with with the cop, um, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh, I've been dancing in the street like a crazy person, and a cop has noticed." Oops. The end. I did nothing to see here. I'm just going to continue my walking now. And here, here, sir, enjoy this umbrella. <laughs> I like that touch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. I loved how that scene, like many of the dance scenes, is done in a wide shot that's held continuously so you can actually see the person dancing and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that because I saw Battle of the Year recently, which is a dance movie where you can see no dancing. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awful. Just people jumping around. It's all people starting to do a backflip, then they cut to a different angle, and somebody else starts to do a backflip, and you continue that for five minutes, and they say that's a dance you, scene. You do that's the, like you do showing the... gymnastics, except that all you do is you show the girls with the ponytails sprinting down and jumping on a springboard, and then you show them losing the landing. You do that yeah. because you're making a dance scene where no one can actually dance, whereas when you have uh, a Gene dancers. Kelly yeah. and a Donald nah, Some of these people can dance. I've seen them do it. They can at least do backflips, and you don't even get to see all of those. I'm not sure gymnastics is the same thing as dancing, though. It is now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's step away from old-time movies for just a second and talk about the modern day and our sponsor, HostGator. Hostgator HostGator.com is a premier web hosting and domain name provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started. They've got monthly hosting plans. They've got one-click installs, so it can be easier to install, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a more advanced user or if you are running a business, HostGator can take care of you. They have reseller plans. They've got VPS. They've got dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime, and that's no matter your size or your needs. Are you a WordPress user? You want to install WordPress? One click and it's installed. There's an optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space, as many files as you can stick up on HostGator, you can do it, and unlimited bandwidth. So downloads, if you have a very popular file, everybody's downloading it, it's fine. It's covered. Unlimited disk space and bandwidth. There are free site builder tools that are super easy to use. And if you need any help, they've got 24-7 support to make sure everything is running smoothly. So here's what you need to do. You need to go on over to HostGator.com. That's H-O-S-T-G-A-T-O-R.com, HostGator, to learn more. And when you decide to buy, don't forget to use the coupon code SNELLSENTME10. That's my name, Snell. SNELLSENTME10, one word. And that will get you 30% off. Off of what? Off of Every single thing, 30% off everything when you use the code Snell sent me 10 at HostGator.com. And thank you very much once again to our good friends at HostGator for sponsoring The Incomparable. I have a question for you musical historians out there. Yeah. What percentage of early musicals are about making a musical? 
<laughs> like for like 62. 95% roughly. The first five or six years, practically all of them. Mm-hmm. Certainly all the Broadway melody and uh, big broadcast movies are. I want to say that Oklahoma was kind of unique in the fact that it was actually a musical that was um, that told a story that wasn't innately about putting on a show. But um, I might be wrong on the timing there. Even the ones that aren't innately about putting on a show are often and have that sort of like thrown in there, like Top Hat. It's not about yeah. putting on a show, but there's a bit of that in there. Even like uh, the Sound of Music. That's not about putting on a show, but they sure they put, put on, on a lot of show. shows. Yeah, yeah. Did, great. Yes. I think Oklahoma is considered to be important because it's the first one where the songs are actually advancing the plot instead of yeah. just somebody mm-hmm. stops, sings, and then three minutes later picks up their conversation. Right. I assume there were Broadway musicals before this. Oh, so yes. It, that certainly can't have been a new innovation for musicals in general. Well, you're all the, all the way back in the 1920s. And back then, as far as I can tell from reading P.G. Woodhouse's musicals back then, <laughs> they were very much like reviews. You'd have ah, a comedian yeah, and then yeah. you'd bring out the girls and then you'd keep the girls there because that's all anyone wanted. The kind of stuff that plays in Oatmeal, Nebraska. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you you would you would be able to dip things in and out and go. Okay, this doesn't work at all. Let's put in a different song. And it was it was in the in the early '30s when they started to say, okay, let's there's there's a shape of a story to the show. And you know, like now with anything goes, the actual musical, um, Cole Porter was sick and tired of people coming late to his shows because that was the fashionable thing. It's like, oh, we'll come five or ten minutes late. So he knew that I Get a Kick Out of You was going to be the hit from the show. And he he said, that's the first song in the show. So <laughs> all his friends came 15 minutes late. And the next morning, everyone's talking about this great song. And they're like, what song was that? We didn't hear that song. What's that all about? And then, and then you know, uh, Kern and Hammerstein and uh, Rogers and Hart started to make story. And then, you know, from there, it kind of went on. And then when Rodgers and Hammerstein got together, then they said, hey, we can make a story that doesn't actually involve show people putting on a show. I like this. The fact that it had to be a paradigm buster is 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 kind of sad. Yeah. Well, the the musical is such a strange genre. And I say that as a fan of musicals yes. where, where you're just sort of walking down the street and then suddenly you go, today I feel like I do. And right. It's just it's odd. <laughs> yeah, I grew out of vaudeville and music hall. Yeah. 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 yeah, I actually had to, to drag my spouse kicking and screaming to watch this with me. He hates musicals for that very reason. He doesn't understand. He, he, can, he can totally get behind some space wizard fighting another space wizard mm. with a sword made out of light, but he can't handle somebody's stuff stopping in the middle of the street and suddenly singing a song. Why are these so, filthy revolutionaries singing about uh, France uh, right now? I... Every time a song came on, I had to be like, see, it's diegetic. They're actually singing that song. There's a reason for it. And then there were a couple of numbers where it was like, I got nothing. I'm sorry. They're just singing for no reason. <laughs> and, and how did the albatross ultimately enjoy singing in the rain? <laughs> actually, in this case, I think he lifted it up because he he had a lot of fun looking at the just the filming techniques and the fact that when you'd the camera would move from one room to the other. You'd see the edge of the wall in the set. And he was just oh, yeah. fascinated by that. Did he complain about the badly timed Foley and the dance numbers? He actually did mention the Foley, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Also, not enough Space Wizard-related musicals, by the way. Fair enough. Hello, Hollywood. Yep, Hello? True. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> oh, God. So I, I was inoculated... Uh, with uh, the King and I at a young age, because that was my mother's favorite movie, and and then I remember seeing 
That prevents mumps, right? Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> um, and other but, diseases. But not for the king. He dies at the, the end. It's very the sad. The king dies. Yeah. It's really sad. <laughs> Spoiler horn. <laughs> yes, spoilers for the king and I. Hello, this is Ewell Brenner. I die at the end of the king and I. Please Check do not that smoke. One off my Please don't smoke. <laughs> Please do not smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, so I, I, I saw that and then um, uh, West Side Story, obviously, when I was probably 14 or something like that. And and, and so I get it. I, I, I don't find it as uh, maybe as totally nuts as, uh, as Erica's husband does, but uh, I, it's not my favorite genre but i like so i mean what i'm saying is hey i liked singing in the rain um especially then later i watched other movies made this year <laughs> and i i really liked singing in the rain and wished i could watch it again and again instead of other movies but you know that might be what a spoiler movie might for... you be referring to well he certainly isn't referring to high noon uh, no no, which was nominated be. for a. Um, there was too much singing in High Noon, though, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, so yeah, that's that actually my my least favorite part about High Noon is oh, the song that Ritter. plays yes. continuously. It, that's my favorite the, part of the Mad Magazine parody of High Noon. Though. Not forsake me, oh my darling. They could only afford one song. You think there's a lot of zither in the third man? <laughs> I know, <laughs> but yeah. and there is. No, that that text writer. I, I like how that text writer song sets the mood and then um it never stops playing which is kind of <laughs> crazy like i said it it actually did remind me of the relentless zithering of the third man where it's like we got we're going to go with this zither music yes let's do that and here it's like hey text ritter he's great play it it's like fight the power it yeah. reminded me actually of I've never seen I've never actually seen the Doctor Who serial The Gunfighters but from everything I've heard about it the Last Chance Saloon the song that plays over and over again in that story it 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 seemed like it must have been that same experience cuz people say they hate that song from hearing it so many times I was like I finally know how they feel we've got we've got one song we, we, what do you want us to do play the song okay. initially that song kind of bugged me but af- after a while it it was actually serving to sort of ratchet up the tension it wraps for me. it around yeah i think so or, or it's the stockholm syndrome it's kind of spoilery though really i like to imagine that tex ritter played it continuously throughout the movie like he's just off off the off camera just pl- keep singing tex <laughs> yeah so okay so high noon aka one hell of a crappy day for will kane yep mm-hmm. which is what i would have called it <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the the he's it's and it's and it's his his wedding day. It's supposed to be a good day, he's, and he's retiring yeah. as town marshal. He's mm-hmm. leaving. New marshal's coming tomorrow. You can tell how excited he is with that kiss he plants on his new wife too. <laughs> it is passionate. Grace Kelly. Uh, yeah, uh, but the bad guys are coming on the noon train, and when they get there, they're gonna come and find the old marshal, and they're gonna. They're going to take kill their him. revenge. That's right, and and the movie is essentially told in more or less real time as mm-hmm. the clock. Oh, by the way, this town is a town where there are lots of clocks visible <laughs> and lots of cowards at all times. Yes, and the, and that, oh, I mean that's the that's the very cool thing about about this movie is that it's it's you, you, it's sort of set up as this standard western, and it turns out the bulk of the running time is him trying to put together a posse to fight these bad guys who are going to come into the town and kill him, and the the people of the town are unmoved, and they're like, "Well, well, thanks for imposing order and, and making sure that we were safe, but uh, you're on your own now." We got two things in this town: clocks and Tex Ritter. What we don't got <laughs> is a lot of courage. No, so so having never seen this movie before, I, I want to say uh, up at the top here: this movie was um, shot in on a back lot in L.A. and on location 
where I grew up. And in fact, parts of the hmm. town are Columbia State Historic Park, where I went to elementary school. It's where I grew up. And uh, the countryside is absolutely the countryside outside the town that I grew up in. And the train that pulls in bringing the bad guys at the end of the movie is actually the same train that's in Back to the Future 3. And it is uh, at, <gasps> wow. at the Railtown uh, Historic Park in Jamestown, California. So this uh, I watched this movie uh, almost as a... Uh, I mean, it was. It, I grew up in high noon, essentially, uh, with cowards. Wow. As it turns out, <laughs> when he was six, he was almost crushed by a clock. No wonder you're sick of the song. So now you know why there's no sheriff in your hometown. <laughs> there is a clock downtown. So I noticed that Jason also didn't help Marshall Wilkins. I Kane, didn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but he sang a lot. But it's anyway, okay. I I really enjoyed that because the high noon. Grace Kelly uh, stayed at the uh, at the Sonora Inn in downtown Sonora when they were filming this movie. It's I think they actually have it like on a sign somewhere. So uh, yeah, I grew up I grew up in high noon. But um, but uh, I love that this movie subverts that uh, expectation that you know the first thing we see our our hero do after he gets married is is run away right before he thinks better of it and turns around and realizes yeah they'll just is come find really me is better really the right word well well okay so so in the end like the town gets shot up and um he could have just left right i guess they would have i guess they would have uh you know gone wild the bad guys would have gone wild in the town or something but well they would have eventually tracked him down cuz he was half the reason sure. they were coming back Right. So it really wasn't an entirely brave move for him to turn around and come back, as he says. As Just more stubborn. As they're rolling away. But it's, it's yeah. also partially, clearly, because he feels like he's, he's on the hook for the town still, even though he's technically retired. Right. Right. And th- th- there's, there's some talk that, you know, some people were very much looking forward to the bad guys coming back into yeah. town. Because things, <laughs> things was lively then, and uh, <laughs> there was a lot of money to be made. So, right. Uh, that's one of the things I, I liked about the film was the fact that they didn't draw a hard line as to whether it was a good idea for him to come back or not. He had this idea that they were going to run rush out over the town. But then, you know, the, the fellow in the church was saying, you know, if you leave, we probably won't have any trouble at all. They, they The right. movie never makes it clear yeah. if if it's good or bad. And, and I think that's I like the gray. In fact, business in town was better when the bad guys were hanging around. Right. So a lot of people are mm-hmm. waiting for him to come back. They say that, but the first thing the bad guys do is start smashing windows and stealing bonnets. Yeah, but the guy who makes the windows loves that. And the yeah. guy who makes the bonnets loves that. <laughs> yeah. It's good for some, is what no, I'm my favorite No, ca- my favorite character in the, the movie, among the ancillary characters, is the sneering hotel clerk, actually. Oh, oh he's man. fantastic. The yeah. precursor to E.B. Farnham on yeah. Deadwood. Uh, yeah, I love that they flesh out the hotel clerk as this really smarmy bastard. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> in a Western, it's... To have the incidental characters have real personalities seems really unusual to me, mm-hmm. and all of these do. Uh, and I also really like the way this this movie is structured. It it doesn't give you a lot of exposition up front. It kind of lays out the backstory in dribs and drabs, and it's it's kind of like we're seeing the end of a much longer story. And our yes. understanding of what happened before is just sort of being meted out bit by bit. And I think that's great because there's some mystery about why, uh, you know, all of his deputies are gone and what happened between him and Helen Ramirez and uh, all the right. other things. Why that is gone Lloyd before. Bridges so bitter? Yeah. What's he ticked <laughs> off about? So, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was really cool. Oh, Lloyd Bridges. And why does he sound the same in this movie as he does 30 years later? <laughs> Same voice. The whole time I was just like, oh, Lloyd Bridges. Come on, Lloyd Bridges. By this time, my lungs were aching for air. I like, I love the uh, Helen Ramirez uh, character. That's a, that's a really Mm -hmm. nice 
nice thing. And she's got her she's got her business. She's like, all right, I'm going to sell. I'm getting out of town now. <laughs> she has one tough customer, which is nice to see. She's too. like, I hate that. I hate this pit. I'm getting out of getting here. Getting out of this town. <laughs> Eat my dust. You people disgust me. I've taken everything from you. I can. Sayonara, Suckville. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did like her. I, I liked the fact that this was a, a Western with two very strong, prominent female characters. I mean, it still doesn't quite pass the Bechdel test, but uh, I liked no. the fact that they were they were right in your face a lot of the time. Yeah. The um, Grace Kelly's character is is she's interesting. I mean, she's she's headstrong. Uh, I, I like that she goes to the train and she's like, well, all right, I, I have stormed off in a huff, and I'm at the train station. I'm. It's hot. I'm gonna go wait back at the hotel. <laughs> right. Well, it's hot, and there are three ruffians staring at me lewdly. Well, you can tell this movie was made in the '50s as opposed to now, when the ruffians would probably make, be making life really uncomfortable for her. Um, there's there's a more genteel code at work, even though the whole film is about we're going to kill this man once our friend gets to town. Um, the fact that they don't think to go after any any of the other civilians is, is pretty notable. But I think they didn't want to commit any crimes until their buddy got there, right? Because that was part of the Why? The is idea. he going to punish them somehow? Tell them they can't attend well, the Well, the, no, the, that'll the give them the dance? ability that'll to lock them up. Give them the impetus to yeah. lock him up, and then it's mm. then there's then he only has to shoot one guy instead yeah. of four. Mm. Half the reason that, that Helen Ramirez is leaving town is because she's afraid of what he's going to do when he gets back. But he sees her on the way yeah. as she's getting on the train and does nothing. Which I think is interesting. She's second on his list. B- bigger fish to fry. But do you think maybe that's also commentary on the railroad as being one of the civilizing influences that was beyond, like the idea that the the railroad and the infrastructure was bigger than the law or any one town? And the clo- clocks, other than clocks. Yeah. Well, no, because that's that's actually one of the big themes in American frontier life is the idea that even when you have people who try to go to these small, to, who try to you know homestead or, or start civilizations or what have them, there is inevitably some sort of entity, whether it's the government or some corporation or something, that ultimately infringes on their autonomy and imposes the will. And I'm not saying that High Noon did that explicitly, but I think it's kind of telling that the, the train is seen as some sort of ungovernable authority that shapes people's lives. Um, it sort of reflects a subconscious uh, recognition that even these, these tiny frontier towns, which are perceived as being laws unto themselves, aren't. You know, they're all part of a vast web that somebody else is probably controlling from a boardroom back east. Well, and actually clocks are synchronized with the railroads. Um, and high noon may have just been in this town. Noon is when the train gets there. I mean, it's it's entirely possible. But that's true. So the, tra- the train is this force of nature that's bringing in this uh, this change to this town with this guy who got, you know, another comment in this movie is, boy, the laws in Texas stink. <laughs> they let this guy <laughs> off and he's coming back. Stupid Texas. We, we call that a documentary, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the last time you can accuse Texas of being easy on criminals. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was impressed that this is probably one of the most tense films I've seen in quite a long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just oh, yeah. as yeah. time is sort of ticking ever away and, and you're slowly realizing that uh, no one's going to come to this guy's rescue and, you know, mm-hmm. he's getting increasingly worried and sweaty. And uh, towards the middle of the film, he's just looking genuinely pants-crappingly terrified, which is great. Um, I was surprised. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen a movie this old that really kind of ratcheted things up for me quite that bad. It's an expertly written movie, and it's really well shot by um, by uh, Fred Fred Zinnemann. Yeah, it's super um, compact too. There's not a minute mm-hmm. of it that's wasted. I mean, every I know, every scene is, and you don't see any dissolves from from scene to scene. It's it's all just straight cuts, which just sort of adds to the, the the speed and the tension. Yeah, I think the fact that this is in real time really helps here. 
Yeah. It's it's a master class, I think, in how to in how to write a good tense film without any extra fat. Not an acting showcase though. No, we were talking about that where where it's probably the best work Gary Cooper has done, but that's not saying a lot because this is Gary Cooper and his job wasn't really ever to act. His job was to be stalwart and mm-hmm. uh, and and look vaguely Stoic. pained about things. Yeah. I think he's fairly terrific in this though because he's called to look pained a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's right in his wheelhouse. <laughs> the character being sad about what he has to do, but well, I like I like too the I mean one of the themes of this of this is I mean we can talk talk about the the people in the town being cowardly um, and how hard it is to get a a nucleus of people together because nobody wants to go first. But I think also it's the alienating nature of being the. Mm-hmm. The law on the frontier, I, I think, is a part of this yes. too. That they are all kind of removed from him as the marshal. He's he doesn't seem like he's one of them. He's the guy who was the marshal. He was kind of their town employee for a while, and nobody really yeah. needed to like him. And the people, the person ruins who's the fun of all the guys in the bar. Yeah, and the person who did like him, you know, she's uh, you know once she's getting out of town at the same time, right? With, with Helen Ramirez. So I think that's really interesting. That you know, this is like a guy who is trying to call in all his chips at this incredibly dramatic time and realizes he has no chips he, he is he, he just he doesn't nobody owes him there's the one guy the one guy who's <laughs> like yeah sure i'll stand with you and then he comes yeah. back at the end and says what you didn't get anybody else well you know i got a family and that's it yeah no it's it it's a nice it's also a nice commentary on the selfishness of the public too uh, well you're our public servant serve us yeah we you should do you this anything. We, yeah. paid, we paid you. I love that moment where one of the townspeople says, you know, what do we pay you for all this time? Yep. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just, I mean, that that's something you could hear today. And it's, it's just this amazing, amazing entitlement that the, that these people have to this guy. That it's like, you know, we paid you. What do you want from us? Just do, you know, do whatever. Do your job. We're not, we're not going to get involved. Yeah. I gave it the office. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and meanwhile the clock ticks down. No it one does, gave me a handout. It does become tense, <laughs> and then okay, so then uh, we've got the uh, the shootout, and and I would say it del- it delivers. Like the the ed- end of this movie, there is action, and there's like burning barns and jumping on horseback, and lots of shooting, and you know the one thing that I knew for sure is that his wife would never get involved because she's a Quaker. And therefore, is opposed to violence. So I knew that she wouldn't uh, be involved. She's a Quaker at all of convenience, though. She I mean, is. when you no, because when they talk about why she's a Quaker, it's not like, well, I was raised in the sect. No, in she's Pennsylvania. She, she's a conscientious objector. Yeah, it was my brother got shot, and so as a result, I veered to this philosophical creed that I'm going to discard when when my conscience finally yep. speaks up. And so. I feel like the Quaker thing is more of a plot complication than an actual. Here is a code of nonviolence and the consequences that that has, because she she decides that she doesn't like the consequences, so she rejects the code. Yeah, well, to to save her to save her husband, she does. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's a nice. I mean, that's that's I think a. Uh, I mean, it's intended as a plot twist. Like she's yeah. forced into this corner and she needs to do this. What uh, a twist! Yes, I, I really love that that sequence, though. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. I really like mm-hmm. the I like I like like when he's in the barn and they throw the first thing in and it's like, well, that didn't work. And then they throw the next <laughs> thing in and it hits the hay and it's like, oh crap, okay. I, well, I like that a lot now. of that uh, a lot of that shoot up shootout is filmed from Kane's perspective. Yeah, so he's trying to find the of... guys. Where are they? Can they see me? Oh, geez, they're shooting at me now. Yeah, All of right. that. Oh, here comes a lantern. Maybe I shouldn't have picked the hayloft hide. Yeah, maybe. A lot of shootouts of Westerns of that era were kind of 
the the phrase was the chuck and duck shootout where it's it's just guys behind uh, uh, barrels, barrels. <laughs> would pop up and shoot at each other and then and then eventually someone would go oh you got me and yeah. and it uh, gunfight at the OK Corral with um, uh, Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster is I I think kind of like that it's like whack a mole yeah they just keep popping up and then eventually one of them is gone and game trope the other thing about that shootout is I. Just being versed in the standard Western, I keep expecting that the townsfolk are going to rally at the last minute. I know. And they don't. I like that they don't. I do, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it would have ruined the film if they had. It was exactly. Kind of the whole point. Yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a BS message. And I like how at the end he throws the star in the dirt yeah. resolve. All right. You oh, people. Yeah. One of the iconic endings of Westerns. Oh, man. You people can suck it the next time this comes along. That glare at the end. That's the that's all the comeuppance they need. Yeah, they come out at the end. They don't come out until it's all said and done. He, and yeah. he drops his tin star and he's out yeah. of there. That's It's such a great. The next day, a new marshal is coming, and he's going to be really confused at how everyone acts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to give him the star and then start avoiding his gaze. Yeah, High Noon 2, the next day, would be a very (laughs) interesting movie. In 1980, CBS did High Noon Part 2, The Return of Bill Kane, with with guess who? Lee Majors. Oh, as Bill Kane. It's all coming back to me now like a horrible nightmare. <laughs> it, it does. Well, see, that's like the thing. a murderous you know, clown, perhaps. I mm. I didn't see it at the time because I was nine, but I, I watched it a couple of years ago just Why? because I figured it was going to be awful. It's, you know, like 15 minutes longer than the original. So, you know, <laughs> of course it's going to be good. And it's not awful. I mean, it's not very good. <laughs> But high praise for David. Lore. It's not but, awful. Put that on the DVD cover. Not awful. Praise David Lore. The script is by Elmore Leonard, and if you just if oh. you sort of ignore the fact that it's a crappy TV movie with not Salt very good the actors, grave. the script is not bad. Salt the grave. Leave his name. Let this be go. Let this deed go down in infamy. Well, I, I I had forgotten about the return of Will Kane. I do know that they did a remake in uh, the '90s with Tom Skerritt in the Will Kane role, and yeah. it will not wow. it, it will not shock you to uh, to to know that the part the Lloyd Bridges part of the callow uh, uh, deputy was played by Reed Diamond. Ah, mm-hmm. Cup on the Edge from Homicide, Life on the Street. If I want to see a High Noon remake, I will go with Sean Connery in Outland. Yeah. Yes. No, that was essentially High Noon, which is a pretty good movie actually for a, a you know early '80s sci-fi movie. It's and it is the the bat the assassins are coming on the on the shuttle from Jupiter or something, and he knows they're coming, and he's got a very limited amount of time to figure out what he's going to do before they get there. It's very much High Noon. He throws his star into the ground, but it floats up. It into floats the space away because he's right. in space. Yeah. That's right. Will Kane should have known things were going to go bad the minute that he realized that Uncle Billy was in town. Before we move on, I want to say how great Lee Van Cleef is. He has no lines, but he's such a cool, creepy, leering figure. That, that you just know he's going to do something. Does he never say anything? As 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 this movie is in Gary Cooper's wheelhouse, not saying anything and looking creepy <laughs> is just about Lee Van Cleef's skill set. Yeah, and then he opens his mouth, and that's the end. That's why he didn't open his mouth in this. Yeah, movie. exactly. Great. Exactly. All right. I got to get another drink before we go on to the next movie. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. you. <laughs> Would you like some well, cotton candy? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some gin and ginger. Let's. Uh, okay, so let's. Phil, what was the best picture winner for uh, 1952? Well, Jason, in the oh. perfect world, it would have been 
high noon. I I think we can say. Uh, uh, yes. You know. Yes. It was, for, for We've yeah. all we've all ranted and raved about it, but unfortunately, it was a thinly veiled allegory for McCarthyism, which was sort of going strong <laughs> at the time. And indeed, I believe that the screenwriter was blacklisted. He, he about was. The time, yes, he was. Uh, about the time of the Academy Awards coming out. So. Uh, Just a reminder that artists always stand for moral clarity and courage. Remember, that's what they tell you every year at the Academy. What about Ivanhoe? Ivanhoe. We didn't watch Ivanhoe. I did not watch. I've not. I've not seen Ivanhoe. I've seen some other movies that came out that year. The Quiet Man. Um, uh, we we've already seen. All of us have seen uh, uh, the Lavender, Lavender Hill Mob, Mob came out that you know, year. Actually, I have not. You missed. You you were not on Old Movie Club One. You should go watch it. It's funny. Yeah. Exactly. It really is. The Cary Grant monkey business is this year. And I think my point is that all of those movies would be better than the actual winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The greatest show. On Earth, Cecil B. DeMille. Cecil directed, B. DeMille, produced, produced, uh, and directed, narrated, <laughs> narrated, <laughs> yes, edited, ruined. Is that DeMille doing that overwrought narration? Yes, that is yes, Cecil. Yes. That is Cecil B. Wow. DeMille because he does the same thing in the Ten Commandments too, and um, oh. mm-hmm. it's every bit as effective there as it is here. <laughs> he was in charge of turning the knob to make it more technicolor. The sinews of sawdust and blood. Yeah, at mm. least at least in the Ten Commandments, though, he's like doing he's talking about a biblical epic as opposed to, and then you go to the circus and see the clowns and eat peanuts. (laughs) Did you ever think of the people who rig the tent? Sponge sugar on paper cones. Yeah. It was like half documentary, half crazy extravaganza. Well, yeah, I wrote down that if they hadn't had all of that stock circus footage and overwrought narration, this movie would have been 10 minutes long. Yeah. And? And far better. So we were trying to figure it out, and the best that I can come up with is the idea here was people will experience the spectacle of the actual circus, but also behind the scenes, the human drama, drama that occurs. And I, I so Why I kinda, it's greater than any trapeze act. I kind of well, get the idea, but yeah. then you're just watching a crappy circus for 20 yeah. minutes on end. <laughs> you didn't like the Disney parade? Is that what you're saying? Oh, my God. Oh, with the, with <laughs> if, the rundown Mickey Mouse yeah, costume. A Disney <laughs> album. <laughs> oh. it's, it's genuinely a pretty good circus as such things go, except we see it from the cheap seats half the yes, time. Yes, yes. These wide shots from way back in the back. I actually liked a lot of the circus scenes better than I liked the scenes of the quote-unquote characters interacting with well, each yeah. other. Well, yeah. yeah. Emmett Kelly's a hell of a clown. I watched this documentary on PBS a couple of years ago called Circus, which was about the Big Apple circus and and actually delves into the behind the scenes stuff and I, I really think whoever made the greatest show on earth like all of their instincts were completely off i mean just the topic matter the narrative structure <laughs> all of it because i who wants to know that clowns commit murder or 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 that that or, or we all suspected <laughs> it's euthanasia excuse me <laughs> it's just this movie is just a sustained marathon and lunacy beginning to end. There is not the, the only the argue, the one argument I can make in favor of this movie is Gloria Graham kind of rises above the material. And, and yeah, I Violet love Bick. every scene that she's in. Oh, my God. She's I was great. excited to see Violet Bick in there. <laughs> she actually yeah. took the uh, the uh, Best Supporting Actress Award away from Gene Hagen for a different movie, of course. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. For The Bad and the Beautiful. But, yeah, she won this year. Yeah. If if you oh. go to Amazon 
you can see the trailer for the movie, which is like a six minute thing of Cecil B. DeMille talking about the movie and saying, you know, we traveled 6,000 miles following the circus, you know, all this stuff. Then he goes through, you know, it's like, and it's got uh, Charlton, Charlton Heston. We call him Chuck and, you know, (laughs) Gloria Graham and, and clowns, world famous clowns. And then he starts listing the clowns and each clown has a a shot, you know, just a full headshot in the screen (laughs) and, and it keeps going. It's like, no one will be seated during the dramatic Charlton Heston drives a tractor scene. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and John Hagen and Peanuts and, you know, Bob Wills and, and Buttons, Buttons, a, a clown. clown. And it, well, it finally gets to, and of course, Emmett Kelly. And here's a special clown we want to introduce to you, Buttons. I bet you can't recognize who that is beneath the makeup. He never takes off that makeup for a mysterious reason we'll find <laughs> during the movie. Mm. Oh my God. You are painting quite the word picture there. Mm-hmm. If you weren't scared of clowns before seeing the trailer, you will be. <laughs> Actually, I have to say, I am generally scared of clowns, but I'm not scared of sort of the classic clowns because back in those days, people still liked them and thought they were fun and funny. I don't know where along the line clowns suddenly became scary, but I was all right with these ones. Until this movie. Maybe this was it. <laughs> Buttons has very cheerful, cheerful uh, clown smile there, but he's the crying on the inside kind. I think it was until that Higgins plays a clown episode of Magnum where things really turned around. So, <laughs> do we want to? I mean, what, what's what's there to say? So, so this is a the Ring Brothers Circus. It's being run by Charlton Heston. He is yep. an expert at every aspect of the circus, as we learned at the very beginning. <laughs> he knows he yes. he has sawdust in his veins, Judas yes. Priest. That's he knows right. All the tricks. Mm-hmm. Give the give the elephants gin and ginger. Uh, giraffe has a sore throat. Just ram a pool cue down. Yeah, there. give that gorilla some more lettuce, and he'll be fine. People say he's circus more often than McNulty gets told he's good police. Because you are circus. Yeah. Yeah. He's got sawdust in his veins, I tell you. I want to be circus. And those fake circus peanuts, he's got those in his veins, too. That's why he's a very (laughs) sick man. Anyway, he runs runs the Ringling Brothers Barton Bay Circus, and the the business types want to do a reduced show because the economy's not very good, but he demands that they do a full show, and they say, well, okay, as long as it stays in the black. And his, his great scheme... Is to bring in the amazing Sebastian, the great, the great Sebastian. Sebastian. The great Not amazing, Sebastian. Jason. No, he's he's the great Sebastian. He is a, I don't a think Jason really trapeze artist slash Lothario. Uh, oh baby, jerk. yeah. But he's got the he's got some good blood. We learned played later. by he's played by uh, Cornell Wilde, and I always want to say played by Cornell West, which would be a totally <laughs> different movie. <laughs> oh my God. That would, that would be a, a very. Yeah, I'd watch that movie. Anyway, he's mm-hmm. got a girl. He's got a girlfriend, and she's a trapeze artist, and she's very upset because the great Sebastian comes in. Okay, so can I interrupt here just because I'm never really sure if 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 um, Holly is actually Brad's girlfriend or if she's just kind of declared by fiat that she is, and Brad hasn't bothered to correct her because he certainly doesn't show her any any. That's because he's Vague married attention. to the circus. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He can't show favoritism. No, he can't. He's trying to keep the circus alive. The circus is his mistress. He's dating Lady Circus, and yeah, she she's has a whole tent. Well, she just seems like a weird stalker. It's 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 almost like she's this unhinged. Do you remember how like Wayne's World? Laura Flynn Boyle is the deranged ex-girlfriend <laughs> who follows Wayne around. Like that's kind of the vibe I got off of Holly following Brad around the Greatest Show on Earth. It's 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 almost like. <laughs> 
it's over, Holly, he would have said. And she's all, oh, Brad! And then, you know, flung herself around on a trampoline and sung a few songs, and it would have gone out of her pea brain. So She really kind of reminded me of Sean Young. So, yeah, stalkery, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, really, not really grounded in reality, the Betty Hutton <laughs> character. No. Well, of course she's not grounded. She's a trapeze no, artist. No, because she's wah, up in the air. I want to stick up Sorry. for Betty Hutton really quickly, and that... She at least has shoulders that imply she could be a trapeze artist. Yes. She did a lot of her own stunts, actually. I learned that in the six and a half minute trailer. No, she's she's in great shape. A lot of movies would just cast a girl and say, pretend she's a trapeze artist. But she looks like she could actually do some of the things yeah. her character does. Yes, she I appreciate did. that. I, th- I think this is the first time in history that someone has defended... Um, an actress's work by saying, well, she has the shoulders for the world. <laughs> shoulders. Uh, so she, she gets kicked out of the center ring by the great Sebastian, and that makes her very upset with uh, Charlton Heston, but not with the great Sebastian, who she turns her enough. affections to, including the line that was the one that Lauren and I had to stop the movie for a little bit, which is where she <laughs> says to the great Sebastian, you can hit me if you like that. It won't change how I feel about you. I know! <laughs> Unbelievable! Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Low self-esteem much there? Oh wow. no, it's when it's when, it's when when Angel goes to make Brad coffee and she says, oh, you know, do you feel like you, you want to bite someone? He says yes, and she goes, well, pick your spot. And Phil and I were like, ooh, codependence and the circus freaks they love. Wow. Mm. <laughs> There's there's a great moment in that scene too where the the wisdom of actually hiring circus performers to be actors is questioned where Holly in <laughs> tears yells Tuffy tear down my rigging and Tuffy just cheerful as the day is long goes okay <laughs> you can almost see the thumbs up it's off screen but you can totally feel it now, it's true <laughs> Good old Tuffy. Love that Tuffy. Now I understand why this movie won Best Picture. <laughs> now, I mean, now you get it. Now you're getting Tuffy it. Tuffy is the glue that holds this movie yep. together. <laughs> or at least tears its rigging down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've missed important plot points here, which is that the, there's, a, there's a shadowy criminal who uh, Charlton Heston refuses to let... Uh, uh, sully the reputation of the uh, of the circus, played by Lawrence Lawrence, well backed by Lawrence Tierney of Reservoir Dogs fame. Yeah, yeah, and so they he cleans up the the midway. There's like thieves out there, and there's a guy who's robbing people uh, in one of the one of the little booths, and he kicks them out, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get you, Charlton Heston," and uh, and in the end, they uh, they he, he employs the services of Klaus, the demented elephant trainer, who. <laughs> Uh, is yes. jealous of Charlton Heston because Angel yeah. has changed her affection to Charlton Heston because uh, you know anyway yeah because it's all Sebastian's fault. Well, yeah. Angel only likes Klaus for his elephants. There's a lot of loves lost and craziness. And... It sounds way more intriguing than it actually yeah. is. No, I actually kind of liked the story. If some if this was written out as a novel with less circus stuff and more <laughs> character development, I probably would have enjoyed it as just sort of like a fluffy beach read. But as it was, the performances were so bad. There's a movie, I mean, if you said, hey, what if we did a movie that showed you backstage at the circus and there's surprising drama and there's human, you know, human emotions and, and uh, you know, all of this stuff, it's going to be really great material. I'd be like, okay, I could see that. I don't love circuses, but I could, I could totally see that. It would not be this movie, though. This, 
would not here, here. be this. You can't not movie. have the circus performances in this film, though, because without that, you don't get the best part of the movie, which is the audience reaction shots. Oh, mm. with, with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted ice cream after watching all those crowd scenes. <laughs> oh yeah, the fat guy eating ice cream. cream. Oh, oh with yeah, the, that fat totally guy eating the ice cream. Kid. He is yeah. riveted, and he's got a whole big dome of ice cream, and he takes like two bites, and it's gone. <laughs> and his kid is sitting next to him, just totally unimpressed. Yeah. Yep. It's it's funny you should say that the the story itself, separate from the movie, would be good. Back in 1950 to 1953, they actually had categories for best writing of a story and best writing of the actual movie. And this won for for the best story and the best screenplay went to the Lavender Hill Mob. Mm. Mm. Go figure. Yes, I don't think this is the best story of anything either. (laughs) But That either. (laughs) But it it was... Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the the, the gangster... Well, what else do we have here? Oh, so there's Jimmy Stewart. He's the clown. Right. Buttons. Buttons. A clown. Buttons. A clown. Uh, (laughs) And it turns out, uh, and Phil, you know, Phil for years has been telling me about this movie and I've never seen it. (laughs) And I made the mistake of agreeing to this topic, so now I've seen it. And the only thing I knew about this- Sometimes you gotta kill the things you love. That's it. (laughs) The only thing I knew about this movie- Yeah. You know what they say. Who says that, Buttons? Who says that? Who says you kill the thing you love? Someone who killed the thing he loved. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the only thing I knew about this movie was was that. And that that, that moment comes and I'm like, oh, Buttons a clown. He's the, yeah. Sometimes you got to kill the things you love. There's something I think is really cool about the Buttons story, which is that even though they never show us Buttons outside of his makeup, we are expected to recognize him. In the photo. Right, because obviously we know that's Jimmy Stewart. Right. We recognized his voice. So here's a picture of Jimmy Stewart. You guys know who this is, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> For all the hand-holding this movie does, this one moment, they just said, hey, we don't really need to show him outside the makeup. It's Jimmy Stewart. Come on. Well, at the time, he was probably the biggest actor in the in the movie because this was Charlton Heston's, like, one of his first films. Well, it's certainly his first starring role. And... Um, Betty Hutton was sort of big at the time, but not hugely. She'd come off of Annie, get your gun. Right, right. And uh, this was this was the best decade for her, probably. Yeah, yeah. But the, Jimmy Stewart uh, was by far the superstar of the movie, um, which is why he gets the, the 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 title at the end. And James Stewart as Buttons, a clown, a clown. A clown. Yes, he he apparently agreed to do it on the condition that he never took the makeup the makeup off, that you'd never see his mm. real face. Seriously. <laughs> and that the check cleared before. Jokes on him. I've seen yeah. it. I think the last <laughs> I think the last 20 minutes of this movie is actually not bad or at least it's it's like a release from the boredom that comes before it. And and that's the moment where so Sebastian falls uh, he he's horribly injured. He, he but... falls roughly two feet into the <laughs> yes, ground. Into the ground. Into yes. the, as, though, as though he landed on a waterbed, strangely enough. I, what I like is how you can see the, the, the little canvas for the stunt guy, and you can see him just gently sinking into the mat. That's a completely different texture. Yes. From gently sinking? He disappears. Yeah. The, <laughs> the ground had a gone. lot of give there in that yeah, They could have cut a few frames earlier. Anyway, so Sebastian... <laughs> uh, 
It turns out, though, uh, Buttons the Clown notices that Sebastian has some feeling in his extremities. and that In his ma- claw hand! Buttons is a doctor, which is how he's able to recognize Well, this is it. Things. So an FBI agent is looking for a doctor who killed his wife. or, yeah. or- Because he also knows that the doctor had the strange hobby of clowning. And the only reason we know this yes. is because Phil and I actually stopped and read the prop newspaper that, that Betty Hutton is reading in the scene <laughs> where she says, Oh, look here! The doctor killed the thing he loved! And, well, the, and- the FBI man says... <laughs> Uh, that he always dreamed of growing up and leaving yeah, and running away. He used to follow trains around as he, when yes. he was a kid. So on a hunch, I'm just going to follow the I'm circus. Follow I'm the on circus. an expense account. What the hell, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's only circus. government work. Can you imagine the razzing he got from his coworkers? Like you know, they're busy busting speakeasies or 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 segregationists or whatever, and they're like, "How is the clown detail going, buddy?" Well, yeah. it's like the reporter in the uh, in the Incredible Hulk TV series who was on the Hulk beat. Yeah. <laughs> he was not well regarded at his paper. It's just no. expense account abuse is what's happening yeah. in both of these cases. <laughs> so they get on the train, and uh, there's an, a, a scene where, between Charlton Heston and James Stewart where where he basically uh, discovers that he has medical knowledge and points out that there is a an FBI guy who's going to be looking for for uh, taking fingerprints. So you might want to make himself scarce. However, our uh, our our villainous uh, underworld thug has has uh, has set. Uh, is is does the who 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 he's teamed with Klaus? Is teamed it Klaus? With Klaus. Does, does he and, he and Klaus like set the rigging on the on the train so that no, the they, go they, on? there are two trains. There's the 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 train that has all the equipment on it, and then there's the follow train. Yeah, and this is more thought than anyone has ever given this, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> so they stop the the lead train because that has all the money, and they're going to rob it, and oh, yep. that's gonna that's gonna get Charlton Heston where it hurts. Except the, the, these two geniuses didn't account. For the fact that the other train would be right behind shortly, and what happens is um, uh, the, a train wreck of a movie becomes a literal train yes. wreck. Yes, this is the first time I've ever seen a train wreck inside another train wreck, which I will give that. There is that wonderful moment where you're looking and going, "Ah, there's the actual train wreck. There it is." Yes, but you're overlooking the important moment where Klaus realizes that his beloved, what's her name, is Angel. going to Angel. die. Angel! Angel! He oh only my. screams it 20,000 times in the movie, Monty. <laughs> so he has to save her, and he does that by driving the car directly at the Angel. Yes. yes, the rocket scientist says, Angel is on that terrain, as yeah. if Angel hasn't spent most of the, her circus-going life uh, moving about the U.S. on trains. And, and here's the thing. The, the, Monty's exactly right. His, his instinct to stop the train is to drive his truck in right in front of the, of the train and wave his hands and wave dramatically. His, uh, can't you see the lights why are you not stopping horrible train crash happens that car gets flipped good too the lions all escape but it does lead to my favorite shot at the end of the movie which has just Klaus's boots sticking out from the wreckage and while the monkeys, monkeys are, fro- are frolicking over him over his ill-gotten money because there's a big sack of money next to his boots too. death like, with dignity and the monkeys are counting Always the money dignity. oh <laughs> No, Angel is the best part of this movie. So, so anyway, the the beauty is the the doctor is knocked out, the circus doctor. Um, Charlton Heston is is bleeding, wounded, and bleeding out. All the while, continuing to bark <laughs> orders about how to handle. He knows how to handle a train crash and save the circus, which right. is hilarious. He's really terrible at delegating authority. Because yeah. the next train that's undoubtedly coming along a few hours from now is not to be concerned about. No, no, no. We have to make the show. The show must go on. The show must go on. So he, as he's mm. bleeding out, he's giving these orders, and um, 
and but the doctor is knocked out so uh who's going to save him and he's going to need a blood transfusion and it turns out that that uh, buttons, the great, a clown the great sebastian has the right blood type and buttons a clown is a doctor <laughs> and reveals himself thereby dooming himself to going to prison in order to save Charlton. Well, he Heston. reveals himself only after only after Holly begs him and and for yeah. reasons that pass beyond understanding in any form, he's a sucker for Holly. I mean, God knows why cuz she spends the entire movie hysterically proclaiming all of her wants and needs to anyone within shrieking distance and yet everyone's like, "Oh, of course, Holly." <laughs> Maybe her voice is in the exact frequency he responds to like a dog whistle. Guys, it's because he wants to kill her. Yeah, he loves her. <laughs> I did really really like the great Sebastian's attitude during the blood transfusion. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Where oh, yeah. He, he's being, you're gonna you be lucky with her. the ladies now. Yeah. It's yeah. me. He's it's being me. noble and donating his blood to his romantic rival out of spite. And he's still <laughs> saying things like, "When you have babies, that, that like would be me. me looking up at you." <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, he can't turn it off. I love that. Yeah, yeah. The, no, I thought that. I actually think the train wreck and thereafter is actually really great. It's just that you've got to go two hours and twenty minutes to get there. Yeah, it's it's the longest episode of The Fugitive ever. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, the FBI man shakes uh, Buttons a clown's hand and then puts the cuffs on and yeah. takes him yeah. away. And what a dark ending for that character i mean he was like the heart of the film for me all the way through i was just like i love him besides which do you know what they do to dudes in clown makeup in the state pen do you suppose they strap him in the electric chair and he's gonna have his clown makeup on (laughs) (laughs) you think what they do to child molesters is bad you should see how they treat guys who show up in grease paint no they put on a show they put him in a really crowded (laughs) cell with a whole bunch of other clowns It's a much more enjoyable movie if you view it as um, the the origin story for Pennywise the Clown from It. (laughs) We kill the things we love down here. (laughs) Down here it all floats. (laughs) Wow. So I I think, think, isn't Charlton Heston, Charlton Heston is uh, uh, hoping that the show will go on, but it's this terrible thing and... And, and the tent's all ripped up. He re, yeah, he, the tent's the tent's gone. They put up the like pole for the tent, but there's no tent. And what's it going to do? How can you be a circus without a tent? But they still have the stands, and the whole town that they're going to comes and watches the circus with presumably like the you know the bear with the broken arm and the lions who ate some of the, <laughs> the elephants and all the monkeys we could catch. <laughs> the entire town came to the circus because it was either that or they had to help the town marshal with a with a guy who was coming back on the train actually the reason the the town came to the circus is because they were fleeing the lions that are running loose in their town (laughs) and they said that they were going to sell tickets to see the train wreck which i think is a pretty good idea for 1951 what else are you gonna look at i hear that train wrecks are fascinating and you can't look away can't look away yeah well i watched all two hours and 33 minutes of this movie so that's proof of that so okay here's my here's my review of the great greatest show on earth you guys can tell me if this equates with you it's so bad in so many different ways. I would say it's one of the, it's it's one of the worst prestigious movies ever. Okay, made. I'll, I'll say that? that. Yes, I've seen Frankenstein Island. I, you yeah. know, I've seen many terrible <laughs> MST3K movies. Pound for pound, this movie has stars and a budget, and Cecil B. DeMille and won the Academy Award, and it's bad. I mean, it's 
it's yeah. like painful bad. Like Steve was got me very excited when he was talking about how he was sort of MST3King through the first 15 minutes. And I watched the first 15 minutes. I was like, yeah, I can see that. Well, you know, after about an hour, I was like, no, no, no. The reason that Rift Tracks hasn't done this movie is that you can't go about, about more than 40 minutes in before you have to shut it off and walk away. <laughs> it's not unlike Batman and Robin in that respect, but we managed that yeah. one. <laughs> Lisa and I have always talked about um, doing that with Ten Commandments, which is another Cecil B. DeMille movie, except it's like a f- four hours long, I want to say. Uh, you could probably easily cut out an hour and a half. And also, you will go to hell. I, I do it every year on Twitter, and, and I did it years and years before that. It just That was my Easter tradition, just do the Ten Commandments. Yep. It's wonderful. Now, the, the problem with trying to riff this movie is, because, is, is that you will run into the interminable circus scenes and there's only yeah. so many things you can say exactly. about it. oh look it's another stupid clown look dorothy lamora is singing her contractually mandated song yeah yeah the disney parade was stupid and the disney parade just keeps being stupid and you know well it's that when they do the marie antoinette parade part that i yeah. found that baffling and confusing like I, I i was like do people really want to see yeah. <laughs> what was that i enjoy the uh the uh two women sitting in the little car Waving and smiling to the crowd while they say horribly catty things to one oh, another. Oh, that's Angel and Holly. Yeah. The yeah. one, the one thing I'd I'll like say in this movie's favor is that it has the most delightfully catty dialogue you will ever find mm-hmm. in a motion picture. It, it outside of say the women, yes. or uh, which uh, we should watch, or the Oscar. Watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie. But it is the Oscar. The, I'd so. like your nerve in a tooth. There's just a lot of backbiting, and oh, yeah. it is glorious. Well, circus people, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, Angel's Angel's great. She just keeps slinging. She just keeps slinging the lines left, right, and center. Flattery rolls right off me. <laughs> Who are you calling a type? Although she does have the absolute worst come on line I think I have ever heard in the form of "I used to fill my dad's pipe." Pipe, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, see, to me that's like that yep. is like the closest Ew. you get to be speaking some horrible abusive past that she ran away from, and and she's like, dude, the circus. <laughs> This is better than this horrible Truman Capote gothic small town nightmare I'm living. Yeah, Steve, that's her. That's her move. Is is uh, <laughs> she can fill a pipe? Well, it worked move. for me. It really set the mood. I thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, Charlton Heston didn't think a woman could. No, fill a pipe, he didn't. If you know what he means. I didn't even know. I don't. The only thing that will keep me warm is if I'm wrapped in a marriage license. Why not? It would be something new. <laughs> yes, exactly. Actually, in the war, I drive a tank. Er, is probably a better come on than yeah. I used to film my dad. Yeah. That is a good come on. There is a steel, uh, Steven Spielberg influence with this movie because this was apparently the first movie he ever watched or ever remembered going to see. Yep. Wow. And of course, uh, Charlton Heston's look with the fedora cap and the and the leather jacket, very reminiscent of the of another Steven Spielberg character. Oscar Schindler. <laughs> and all those bug-eyed reaction shots that he loves so much are just people watching The Greatest Show on Earth. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's his direction every time. Look Can up. We... I'm going to put this light on you. Imagine you're watching The Greatest Show on Earth. Imagine a circus. And actually, as I was watching the train crash, I was like, well, Super 8s was better, but the future, <laughs> for the time, you know... the, the train crash was actually not bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, you could tell that there were little train cars, but no, it was a... It was a uh, the last twenty minutes of this, like I said, I I I have no issues with that because that was when all of the it's like oh now we need to end our story so now it's like Jimmy Stewart and the doctor and the FBI guys on the train and they they're gonna plot and there's the elephant handler and he's very angry and there's the you know and it all it pays off and then somebody's got to save Charles Heston that all you know that all was uh, quite watchable I just. You know I, I must admit <laughs> I I recognize that this is a terrible terrible terrible, terrible film. But I I quite enjoyed it. 
Oh, in that Steve. sort of wraparound to good way. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. It might just be because I like terrible movies about circuses. I like the Elvis movie Roustabout and it's oh, worse than that's, oh, yeah. oh. that's not a circus, that's a carnival, mister. <laughs> well <laughs> quite close enough. Hey, we're gonna have a circus carny fight. This is great. Uh oh. <laughs> Hope everyone has their tetanus shots. <laughs> and you thought the dancing fight was bad. You know, I didn't I didn't hate this movie. I I never ever ever want to have to watch it again. <laughs> but I <laughs> but I'm very glad that I saw it. Oh yeah, it's a badge of honor to have seen it at the very least. Yeah, and I mean, I liked I like I said, I I quite liked the story. I just hated all the characters except for Buttons, whom I liked. A clown, uh, clown. And, then, and then yeah, and Angel Angel was also good too. Yes, she was. There are a couple of shots in the movie I thought were actually pretty cool. There's one I can't remember where it happens in the movie, which is probably a problem, but they're outside the tent arguing about something, but the big wall of the tent is open, and you can see the circus going on behind them. I thought, yeah, circus makes a good backdrop to a movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like this entire film was filmed in one take. Uh. (laughs) You've got got circus performers who are clearly flubbing their lines. Uh, You've got... The, the shot of the kid in the audience digging into his nose, which I'm fairly <laughs> sure they didn't intend to capture. Uh, that guy with the ice cream. It just, it just, the whole thing seems like it was just thrown together. Oh, you know the one scene where she's doing the uh, flips around, she's trying to set a world record and the audience is counting along with her? Yes. Yeah. No, I've forgotten about that 15-minute scene. I would be pretty bored sitting in a circus tent counting to 100. I was impressed that the <laughs> crowd as a whole could could do like 102 103 104 those are those lots of syllables for them to keep in unison <laughs> and they managed to do it this was before fun was invented <laughs> <laughs> that was fun you guys <laughs> i like how how charlton heston runs in and you know is the killjoy and lowers her down and she's so furious that he's lowering her on her, her sad now it's a like sad little rope to to be fair he does have clowns running around underneath her like <laughs> making like they're gonna catch her well that, that's like the showbiz aspect of it is the, the, the people in the crowd are like was that supposed to happen i guess there are clowns yay <laughs> again again not exactly a death with dignity when there are clowns <laughs> underneath you <laughs> oh they're gonna fall <laughs> Only buttons can bring true death with <laughs> dignity. <laughs> He's the only clown with dignity. Don't worry, folks. Once we fish her out of the waterbed, she'll be fine. Yeah. Emmett Kelly's really kind of a depressing clown. Yes. He is a sad clown. His great ukulele mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, it's kind of his shtick. He appears without his makeup. He appears without his makeup in the movie. There's a very brief scene where he's he's like, I think it's in the train wreck. Where, uh. he doesn't, where his... Um, his face paint, which he very rarely allowed himself to be photographed doing, but apparently thought so much of this movie that he made uh, that yes. commitment. This is it. This is what I'm going to do it. <laughs> this movie will finally bring dignity to my profession. The movie I've always wanted to make. He had to make up for Jimmy Stewart never taking his yes, off. The, 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 right. the clown world has to balance out. Clown karma. This will be my legacy. This and the velvet painting. I have to admit that Emmett Kelly actually raised a smile once or twice, which is more <laughs> than I can say for any other clown ever. Well, yeah. Yeah. It was a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. I, I think you'll probably spend longer editing this podcast than they did editing this film. <laughs> I guess I'd have voted for High Noon. Yeah. If you were an Academy Award voter. I don't even like Westerns, and I still would have voted for High Noon. Yeah. Well, that wasn't a Western, though. It was, it was a human drama within a, in a Western backdrop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's an it's adult true. Western. While most Westerns were just kids shoot 'em ups, this was about a man with mature decisions. 
Okay, then I, I don't like movies with Western backdrops, but I still like Tiny Moon Okay. <laughs> Do not forsake me, Erica Ensign. <laughs> I don't like movies set in California. I always need a drink of water. I don't like I don't like movies near deserts. I like movies that were shot where I grew up. So, you know, pretty much if it's High Noon or Back to the Future Part 3, I'm, oh dear. I'm thumbs up. <laughs> I grew up not too far from the source of the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. So I can't. I have to say that, no, just because I grew up close to there, still didn't say that one for Yeah, me. no. You don't need to take credit for the... No one needs to take any more credit yeah. for the, the I apologize for the show greatest on show on earth. And I apologize for McCarthyism while I'm at it. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> on behalf of Wisconsin, I apologize. How much of this movie was just financed by the Ringling Brothers? Well, the whole thing is like an ad for them, so I'm, yeah, yeah, it really is. And John yeah. and John Ringling North appears in it. He does as himself. As himself, what range? And strangely, they actually feel that he's got enough name recognition that they have Charlton Heston saying, "Get me John North." Well, this is a docudrama. This all really happened. <laughs> it's just uh, you know, it's they, a recreation of the great train circus train wreck of 1948. Right, all of the people who survived and weren't eaten by the lions. <laughs> they they told their stories. They lived to yeah. tell their tales. I really that is the moment that I that I keep coming back to is that they they have like there's the lions are like jumping out of their cages and there's that one lion that kind of struggles to get out of the cage. It looks kind of like mm-hmm. my cat if you know he's trying he's trying to get up on the couch and he's very old and it was like oh he, come on lion you can get out there and then I'm thinking what happens now there's probably like because he says check on the gorillas that glass probably shattered and i'm imagining like gorillas with shards of glass and yeah. meanwhile the oh, lions are oh, eating just makes me so sad incontinent gorillas incidentally because they didn't eat enough lettuce yeah and the yeah. lions are on the prowl <laughs> there's incontinent so much is blocked up those poor straining gorillas are now sitting among the shards and elephants oh. all lit up on gin <laughs> <laughs> The fat guy who had to hang out with the hippo because he couldn't fit on any other part of the tree. Oh, my God. That was the worst. one pissed off giraffe shattering all the pool cues in the local pool hall. Oh, yeah. They they send the fat guy to be with a hippo. You're going to make me ride with this hippo. (laughs) It seems weird that they didn't have a plan for that. They've always got a guy whose entire act is he's pretty fat. That's a good line, though. The ginned up elephants just hallucinate pink humans. <laughs> well played, sir. Thank you. I like the bit where somebody asks uh, Dorothy Lamore, "Who's that?" and she responds, "Oh, that's the giant and the fat boy." <laughs> Just so you know, that was that was also a CBS drama in the 1980s, "Giant and the Fat Boy." <laughs> Anybody want to uh, wager as to what the Academy was smoking when they came up with this as the best picture? Circus peanuts, uh, probably really expensive cigars, yep. yeah. pro- uh, provided by Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> I think it just felt really big. It's a long movie. It's super technicolor. It's got animals in it. It yep. just feels epic. I think that was the Oscar bait of the day. Like it, now, it's certainly not this type of film, mm-hmm. but I think yeah. back then the giant extravaganza—it's a spectacle. Long thing. Yep. Yeah. Now it's movies that nobody saw but had their hearts in the right place. Quality aside, this is the movie. Where it's like you will be in the circus and you will see the whole circus and the stories around the circus. I mean, I get it. It is a big idea. Yeah. Which raises the question of why I would want to do that. The train wreck was in- innovative for its time. The the mm-hmm. shooting of that. It's not often you can make a toy model look that spectacularly. Right. But mostly they were smoking the we don't want uh, we don't want the House and American Activities Committee to come after <laughs> yes. us. So let's give the statue to the nice old man who makes circus movies. Yes. A couple of years later, the winner was Around the World in Eighty Days, which is also not a very good movie, yeah. but is certainly technicolor and spectacular. And and a, a cast of thousands. I do and... like the fact that their vote against High Noon kind of makes the whole point of that film. Yeah. 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 We're not standing with him either. How about that? Yeah. He should have left. 
It shouldn't have been a movie. <laughs> no irony here. All right, uh, Phil. What what say you? Have we have we uh, covered this topic to your satisfaction? I think I think it is done and dusted. I think we have said more words about the greatest show on earth than it than it merits. And I <laughs> I can only hope that we have stoked people's interest in watching the other two movies, which are very good and yes. um and uh, very peppy and um, an evening well spent. I agree with that. And if we have brought just a little joy into your otherwise humdrum lives, we know that all our hard work ain't been in vain for nothing. As the trailer for The Greatest Show on Earth said, I think this podcast is, quote unquote, for the happiness of the world. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what you're saying is this podcast is The Greatest Show on Earth. (laughs) That is is what I'm saying. By the transitive property, yes, indeed. You all raise me into the air again because you are circus. Come to Incomparable, the greatest <laughs> podcast on earth. <laughs> I got podcasts running through my veins. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. <laughs> do, 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 do. I have to say, I have not taken off my clown makeup yet. Do, so. do, 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 do. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you played music throughout things when they were coming to a close. David, feed those gorillas. <laughs> Phil, do not forsake me, oh my podcast. You gotta, tight, you gotta tighten up the rigging over there. Lisa, those, uh, those monkeys uh, need some lettuce. Uh, Listen, sugar, <laughs> I only like you for your elephants. Oh, <laughs> is the ginned up? My clown face will be the last thing you see before you die. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sometimes you got to kill the things you love, Phil. I just realized something. You know, you know why Holly wasn't concerned about being killed by Buttons, a clown? What? Because clowns are funny people. They only love once. That's right. That's true. That is actually the only funny thing about clowns. <laughs> All right, we're gonna close up the uh, old movie club. 1952. I think we've righted, righted the wrong of the Oscars now. Take that, Senator McCarthy. That's right. <laughs> Eat it, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood. Fat cats sitting in their homes. I like to imagine this kid coming home and saying, Mom, a clown got arrested and he gave me a puppy. Can I keep it? <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the greatest show on earth, too. Yes. Oh, Lord. The greater show on Earth. When the lions came to live in our town. The greatest show on the moon. Ooh. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll wrap up Old Movie Club here. I wonder what Phil will have for us next time. I'm a little scared after this this go-round. But again, we, got, we saw, again, like we did last time, two good movies. And then we also saw another movie. <laughs> and that was, that was fun. And it's so we're, it's a 667 average, and that would get you into the Hall of Fame like that. Yeah. It's a Hall of Fame kind of thing, De- definitely. All right, I would like to thank my guests for uh, for participating in the silliness um, and watching these movies, which was a lot of fun. Monty Ashley, thank you for being here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> David Lore, thank you. Insert clown joke here. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Steve Lutz, thank you. It's all for nothing, Jason. It's all for nothing. <laughs> Erica Ensign, thanks for coming back. Thank you. You know, I just wish that podcast guest appearances paid because then I'd make more money than Calvin Coolidge put together. Uh, uh. <laughs> what am I, dumb or something? <laughs> <laughs> 
Lisa Schmeiser, uh, you did Lena Lamont in our radio drama. You basically did that voice. I did, yes. Thank you for being here. You should thank me for not talking like Lena Lamont the whole podcast. Yeah, I, I, I can't stand him. I can't stand him. You know, she actually does get better at talking throughout that movie. Like, she does use yeah, she more does. rounded vowels. She just can't change her voice. I think that's a great touch. Round, low tones. And uh, that leaves, uh, so I've said goodbye to everybody except Philip Michaels. Phil, at, earlier on, you said that you would be in my posse and stop these guys when the train comes, but I couldn't get anybody else. Can you? Are you still with me? I've got a wife and family. I'm out of here. Oh. <laughs> Angel is on the train! Oh. <laughs> well, then there's nothing to be done. Thanks for uh, putting together the old movie club. You're very welcome. I regret nothing. Yeah, thanks, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. All right, and to everybody out there uh, listening to this, we're uh, very happy if you've decided to see High Noon or Singing in the Rain. And if you watched uh, <laughs> the other one, well... Wait for the riff tracks. It's your own fault. No refunds. <laughs> uh, until next time, I remain Jason Stell, your host, alone at the train station waiting for the men to shoot me. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night.